Before we get into our message this morning, I'd like to take a a few moments to pray. And uh, we're going to not pray so much with our words today. We're going to pray with our hearts. I had a picture this morning before, as we were praying in the the office before our service and our pre-service prayer, I had an image of Jesus walking through this place, and he was doing this. He was, he was coming up to, to each hillsider, and he was putting his hands on their heart, <laughs> and he was blessing your heart. Can you imagine that? What, a, what an image. Can you picture that in your mind? Jesus coming up to you, putting his hand on your heart, and offering a blessing like only Jesus can do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine receiving that kind of direct blessing from Jesus? Well, by his spirit, I believe he wants to do that to you. So would you just, uh, can, if you want to, we're gonna just have a time of silent prayer where I would encourage you to just to receive the blessing that Jesus wants to give you right now in the quiet of this moment. So try not to, if you can send words from your mind, you can do that as best you can. And let's take a minute of silence just to receive Christ's blessing to each of us. And so, Lord, all that you want to do, all that you want to give, and all that you are, we receive now with thanksgiving. You're such a good Lord. We bless your name. May you speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. Wasn't that good? Is that all right? Uh, We're... uh, we're in this new series called Unhurried, and we've been talking about this idea that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Someone who heard this message last week, they uh, came up to me and, and they said, as, as we looked at this invitation Jesus made to those who are weary and burdened, they said, it's like that message was just for me. And I said, yeah, you and everybody else, right? <laughs> We're living a day where weary and burdened is just the norm for everybody. And we talked about how everything seems to have in our culture just kind of sped up, hasn't it? Uh, We looked at how in in 2007, how that was kind of a a turning point or a tipping point of hurry with the introduction of what? Smartphones, right? Smartphones and social media, and very soon after that, podcasts and the way we did screen I'm Netflix and, and music, Spotify and, and iTunes and so on, it's been like a cultural tsunami that's, tsunami that's changing everything about how we do everyday life. Some of the changes have been really good. I gotta say, I really love uh, YouTube do-it-yourself videos. They make me feel smart when I'm able to fix something that before previously was unfixable, but as I watch that video step by step, I can get her done. Anybody relate? They like those? Yeah? Just a few of you. Um, and, and banking online and, and mobile deposits and e-transfers. I love how we can move money so easily and, and give money away, all that kind of stuff. It's so great. I like FaceTime calls and Zoom calls with friends or family who live far away. They can be across the world, and you can talk to them face-to-face. Isn't that that cool? I love that. Um, I really love map apps. 
because I used to get lost with paper maps all the time. They, you know, and how do you drive with this in front of your face, right? You know, uh, and so it's even telling you that you know, the detour to take because of a traffic jam ahead and all that kind of stuff. I love that. Now, while there are a lot of good things that have come with the recent technological changes, there's a lot of downsides or cons to the digital age. John Mark Comer mentions one he thinks is the most dangerous, the impact on our attention spans. Interesting, studies uh, show that in between 2014 and 2017, our attention spans have decreased from 12 and a half seconds to eight seconds. I was shocked, to be, th to, to be honest, to hear the 12 and a half seconds that our attention span is that, our capacity to attend to one thing is like eight seconds long. Our, our new normal, according to one researcher, is continual partial attention, which means we're never fully ever attentive, never. Our, our new normal, uh, pardon me, and, and there are just thousands of potential distractions that we carry with us everywhere we go. And, and according to tech insiders, these seemingly innocent apps are designed quite intentionally with the purpose to distract you and furthermore, to addict you. Do you feel that? You feel their pull? A survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. We don't allow ourselves to be bored anymore. Do you remember boredom? <laughs> Anybody? We don't allow ourselves to be bored, right? We're bored for a second and we do something, we reach for some sort of tech to help us, help us with our life. Boredom, by the way, is not as bad as it feels in the moment. It's often been the innovator and the birthplace of great creativity and innovator. It's usually really good. What does this era of loss of attention and distraction and screen attention do to us? Most essentially, it robs us of our capacity to be present. And it keeps us from God. It robs us of our soul. I read an article this week by Andrew Sullivan in New Yorker magazine. It was one that was recommended by John Mark Comer. And it's titled, I Used to Be a Human Being. And he talks about how over the last 10 or, or so years, he was an early adopter and, and, and he had, uh, came to the place where he realized he was digitally addicted. And it pretty much broke him. He said he was more connected than ever and yet more disconnected and disorientated. He finally had to do something and he talks about going on a digital detox. He actually started going to a church. He started going to a Catholic church and he says that hour a week of just sitting in, in mass and he said, I didn't know, understand what was going on in those services but during that time I wasn't looking at my phone. And then he said he went to a, a prayer retreat center where uh, they had a condition that as you went in the door you put your, your smartphone in a basket on the way in and you got it only when you left the, the retreat center. It was quite something. Listen to his comment that he makes about our culture. It's quite profound. He said, there are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived, but this new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shape shift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget that we have any. Isn't that profound? He says, this, this epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. It brings to mind Jesus' words, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and yet lose his soul. And so this leads us to an important question this morning is, is there a practice from the life of Jesus that could set us up to thrive in the midst of the chaos of, of over-busy, digitally distracted, you know, noisy world? Well, there is. You might call these the, the twin peaks of spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude. Defined simply, they are intentional time in quiet to be alone with ourselves and with God. We're starting with this spiritual discipline because I, I think silence and solitude is the most challenging, the most needed, and the least experienced special, spiritual discipline among Christians in our day. It, it's much easier to talk about it and read about it than it is to actually practice it, to be quiet. For some of you, that two minutes <laughs> where we prayed just now was the longest you've been silent for a week. And in our particular Protestant evangelical stream of faith, we're a very busy, very wordy, very heady tradition. And yet we're still desperate to find ways to experience God. Ruth Haley Barton wrote a great book, uh, and it's titled uh, Invitation to Silence. It's, it's, a, it's a, a good read on this particular topic. And she says this, we are starved for intimacy, to see and feel and to know God in the very cells of our being. We are starved for rest, to know God beyond what we can do for him. We're starved for quiet, she says, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. And we've been talking uh, this last couple of weeks about how if we want Jesus' life, if we're serious about that, we've got to adopt his lifestyle. And if we look at his lifestyle, we see how central in the life of Jesus what you might call the quiet place or the lonely place, places of, of solitude and silence. I want to look at some of those in the life of Jesus this morning. At the end of Matthew 3, there's the story of, of Jesus' baptism, which happens before he started ministering, before he was doing anything, healing, teaching, delivering, any of that going on. And you might, might remember, as he's getting baptized, he comes up out of the water and this voice breaks out from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And you would think in that moment, you know, with these words of affirmation and validation from heaven ringing in everyone's ears and Jesus' ears, that would be the launch pad to his ministry. But what happens? We're told the Spirit, it says here in, in, in the very next line, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, and then after four, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, came to him. First thing, after Jesus' baptism, he goes straight into the desert alone. Now, the Greek word for desert is eramos, and, and it has a lot of different meanings. It means desert, deserted place, desolate place, uh, solitary place, lonely place, uh, quiet place, wilderness. And this eramos, this, this quiet place, is some, somewhere Jesus would be led to throughout his life, but this is the first time that we have recorded. And here he is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil. You know, this is the big match, right? And it's an odd setup. Him getting sent into the wilderness by himself, and he's fasting 40 days, and he's super hungry, and this is when the showdown's gonna happen? <laughs> when he's weakest? At least that's what we think. You see, we... <laughs> 
<laughs> he's hungry and alone. He's vulnerable, right? Well, not so much, actually. See, we think the lonely place, the wilderness, is where we're weakest. But in reality, folks, it's in the, the lonely place, in the quiet place, that we're the strongest. John Mark Comer puts it this way. He says, it was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that Jesus had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. That, that's why you see again and again, throughout Jesus' life, he'd go again and again to the quiet place. Mark 1, 37. We're told very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, it's very interesting. If you look at the day before this, this particular passage, before he gets up early in the morning and prays, it was the mother of all days for Jesus. From, Jesus was, was going sun up to sundown and longer, intense ministry, healing, delivering, freeing the sick, uh, preaching. All this is going on. You, you read that day, just the, the verses before, and it's crazy intense. And if it were me, after all that, I'd be thinking, sleep in day the next day. <laughs> right? You, you take a bit of a breather, uh, all that intensity. And what does Jesus do? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house. He went off to a solitary place, the quiet place, where he prayed. What's even crazier about that is he had just been away for a month and a half. I mean, this is probably just days before that he'd come out of the wilderness from his 40-day fast. And so here he is going off again, which suggests to us that this was not some one-off kind of deal with Jesus. He had a rhythm of getting away to the quiet place. And the story isn't over. We read in, in uh, we're told in verse 36, the next verse, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. In other words, Jesus, the doors of opportunity are open. People are asking for you. They want to they hear about you. They want to hear your teaching, all this kind of stuff. And, and <laughs> do you want to come and, and, and be part of that? Jesus, why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you? Listen to Jesus' response, verse 38. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. In case, case you lose, get lost in translation there, that's Jesus saying no. Um, there's some of us who have a hard time saying no, right? Anyone out there who has a hard time sometimes saying no? I think, I think we, a lot of us can relate. If you've got any kind of people-pleasing side to you, that's obviously not Scott Teeson, but I mean everybody else, I mean more of a people-pleasing side. Saying no is hard. Some of you are great at saying no. Uh, the best no ever. I think I'm just going to sit this one out. Isn't that a good way to say no? I think I'm just going to sit this one out. Or how about this? I would say yes, but I'm a cat. <laughs> or alas, such a task is no match for my incompetency. I like that one. That fits really well. But being able to say no when appropriate in and of itself can help us can, can actually, not being able to say no can lead us into this hurry and distracted life, right? You just get busy. Here we see one of the core benefits of going off to the quiet place. Jesus comes back from these times in a lonely place with clarity about his identity and calling. Notice he says, at the end of that line, he says, this is why I've come. <laughs> this is what I'm about. 
You see, he comes back grounded and, and centered in touch with God and in touch with himself. And he knew what to say. He knew what to do. He knew what to say yes to. And he knew what to say no to. In my own life, I've seen this time and time again. When I neglect silence and solitude, one of the very first things to go is I seem to lose my sense of identity and calling. The unique reasons I'm here as a human being, what God has kind of called me to do. And and one of the symptoms of that is I seem to lose my capacity to say no to good things. And when that happens, I just get pulled into other people's agendas and and, and trying to please others, or I start saying yes to things that are not part of what God has primarily called me to do. It's a, it's a vicious cycle for me. <laughs> I, uh, I start saying yes to all these things, and that gets me busy, and that squeezes out time for silence and solitude, which means I say yes to more things that I shouldn't, and it's exhausting. And life just becomes kind of an unfocused mess in those moments. This is why in Jesus' life we see him making silence and solitude, the the quiet place, a top priority. Time and time again he did this. You'll read, like in Matthew 14, how he sent the crowds away. He sent the disciples to go across the other side of Galilee. He sent them away. And he spends the whole night praying. And and you wonder why he often got away late at night or or through the night or early in the morning. His, His days were full. Nighttime or early morning was the only time he could find to be alone in the quiet. He was so busy, he literally didn't have a moment in his day. So by, by hell or by high water, he was going to make time for this. Because he knew that time alone with his father was even more important than sleep itself. I love that he cared for his disciples this way too. In Mark 6, we read about how the disciples are just worn out from this intensive ministry that may have been going on for days or weeks. And we read, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. They're so busy, they're not even taking care of themselves. Self-care is out the window. And Jesus says to his busy, overtired disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is important. (laughs) Stop. Stop even doing this very good thing that you're doing. They were busy healing and and ministering to people. Stop even that in order to get some rest. You you get to, to Luke's gospel, and it mentions Jesus withdrawing to the desert, to the wilderness, the quiet place, the, the, the Eremos, nine times. And it seems clear, there's, there's kind of a correlation in Luke's gospel. You can see how the busier and more in, in demand that Jesus became, the more he withdrew to the quiet place to pray. John Mark Comer remarks for us that, remarks that for most of us, it's the exact opposite. He says, when we get over busy and life is hectic and people are vying for our time, the quiet place is the first thing to go rather than our first go-to. Catch that? The first thing we lose is unhurried time to be with God, to, to be quiet, to read a psalm, to, to, to do a personal check-in, to let our souls catch up with our bodies. The reality is in, in seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less. And, and, and so this is obviously a, a crucial spiritual discipline in our day. It's crucial in my life. I've learned the hard way. I've been on the edge of burnout before. And it's most often been when 
I've neglected this, these, these practices of Jesus. Now let's just dig into both of these for just a bit. The first of all is silence. Silence seems so obvious, but there's kind of two dimensions to it. The first is outer silence. And that just simply means no noise, right? No kids screaming, no music playing, no traffic, no noise of any kind. For me, um, I kind of find this quiet place in two places in my life. The first is early in the morning. You know, I, I, I've set aside a rhythm of every day spending time, what I call a quiet time. I have a quiet time every morning. When our kids were little, it was really great to do that before they get up because a quiet time was just about as a hush call, you know, falls in the crowd here. And then there was light. Before the kids, you know, got up. When, once the kids got up, no, there was no such thing as quiet after they were up, it seemed like. Although, we strategically, when they were really young, we gave them quiet times in the afternoon. Even when they, were, they got past napping, it was quiet time in your room, and that was very good for them. Uh, now it's before Angel gets up, which is like 11 a.m., so I can have a quiet time anytime. So, <laughs> oh, 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 she says. I love it when I'm microphoned and she's not. I love that. That's a good moment for me. But it's me sitting just... If you picture this in my bathrobe, no, I usually wear something else, but uh, it's me alone with a cup of coffee on my sofa with a Bible and a journal, and that's uh, just me being, there, being quiet. It's usually dark outside. The other place is me walking. Walking is, for me, a quiet place. Uh, you know, some of you will know that, that uh, a year or so ago, I, I did this more intensely. I went to Portugal and Spain, did a portion of the Camino over a couple of weeks, it was an intensive experience of silence and solitude. And if I want silence, walking is really good for me. I, I'm a little bit more action-oriented than Angel. Angel actually really loves and cherishes time where she can sit quietly by herself. And for me, sometimes I get a little bit stir-crazy. I get the jitters. And so for me, walking and going somewhere. And I, I love the fact that, that we are so blessed with beautiful parks around where we live, right? I mean, you want to go for a quiet walk. Uh, for me, it's just Monday Park up the street. That's a good, good location, by the way. Even still, I am, as many of you would know, a silence avoider. I really do not like silence. And so I remember uh, back in the fall, I was on this, I went for this hour-long walk in Monday Park, and I was feeling restless that day. And so I had my headphones on, and I was walking with my phone like this, trying to find a song that I wanted to listen to. And I'd listen to the first few bars of a song, and then I'd move to the next song, and then I'm trying to think, well, maybe a podcast would do it. And, and after a while, probably about 20 minutes of me fruitlessly trying to find something that would, you know, make me feel less restless about my life, I finally did this. I took the earphones out of my ears and turned off my phone and just walked. And about 15 minutes of walking without me intentionally praying or seeking this, I could just sense the presence of God there in me and all around me. As I, for a few minutes, practiced this discipline of silence. That's outer silence, but there's another dimension to silence, which is inner silence. And, and folks, I think it's much easier to turn off outer noise than it is to turn off inner noise. You know what I'm talking about, right? I think sometimes we have outer noise in order to crowd out or drown out 
the inner noise that's going on inside our heads, that, that running commentary about our lives that's going on all the time, or, or that mental chatter that never shuts up, Th- those worries, those anxious thoughts, those fears that we have. You know, external noise is easy to, to quiet. You just turn off your phone, walk in the park. But the internal noise for us, seems, there seems to be for many of us no off switch. So silence is a discipline. It's the pursuit of both kinds of quiet, both inside and outside. I was talking on this three or four years back, and, and I challenged you in your own quiet times, before you ever cracked your Bible or opened your journal, that you'd spend two or three minutes just in quiet silence. Maybe just meditating on a word, be, like be still and know that I am God, or remembering the name of Jesus, but sitting there quietly for that two or three minutes, and sort of like pushing out any thoughts that were coming, thoughts about your day. You're just intentionally trying to focus on that one word or that one thought, focusing on God. And, and some one hillsider, this poor guy, came up to me on Sunday morning. He says, I've been trying that for like two weeks. That two or three minutes of silence is killing me. Literally, it was the hard, he, he, this is a guy who's well accomplished in his life, and he's saying, this is the hardest thing I have ever done. And I think many of us can relate. In our noisy world, we're going to have to be very intentional about learning this. It's going to take time. Then there's solitude. Solitude is pretty straightforward. It's when you're alone with God and with your own soul. Just to be clear, solitude does not mean isolation. I was out with a friend this week. He's a a real quiet guy. He's introverted. He's single. He lives alone. And he was talking about a temptation for him is to live a life that's isolated from others a life that's kind of very narrow and closed in on himself. And he, he, he talked about how, for him, when solitude is working right, we were talking about this, when, when, when he's actually practicing solitude, what it does, it actually propels him back into community. Henry Nouwen talks a lot about that, how, how if you want healthy community, you won't have it unless you have healthy solitude. And so solitude, as, as lonely as it might sound, is anything but loneliness. Richard Foster, in his excellent book, The Celebration of Disciplines. He says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. In solitude, we're anything but alone. Actually, it's that place where many of us feel most connected to God. Henry Nouwen puts this most strongly. Listen to him. He says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. Did you catch that? We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we're not setting aside time to be with God or in quiet. It's just a fact. It's your, your, your relationship with God is no different than your relationship with, with other people. I think of my relationship with Angel. If, if we in our marriage, never spent time alone together. We, if we never talked, if we never shared any deep thing, if we never listened to one another, if we never do that, and sometimes we've gotten out of the habit of it, we can see our marriage wither in those moments. Same is true with our relationship with God and with our own souls. You've got to make time. It, it's easier said than done. I know most, most people find this, this practice extremely difficult, and it's not just us extroverts. It's countercultural. And it's radical, but the rewards are so good, and the alternative is unthinkable. So how do you do this? I want to just get practical for the last little bit here. 
Well, you start, I, I would suggest, by setting, finding a time every day where you can be alone in the quiet with yourself and God. You find for yourself your quiet place, a place where you can be quiet. I do this every morning. It's often, as I said, it's the best part of my day. And, and I know for some of you in the seasons that you're in, you're going, how could I squeeze that in now? And I'd say, Jesus squeezed it in somehow. And, and we didn't have the demands on us that Jesus had on him. You gotta do it. You're gonna have to get creative. You're gonna have to wrestle with this. I do feel for parents of, of young children, and I feel for single parents. And I'd say, you need it most during that season. It may not be able to be as long a time, but I would say, find the time. Make the time. You might have to ask yourself the question, what am I going to have to say no to in order to say yes to these crucial spiritual disciplines? Time alone with God and yourself. Another thought about those seasons where you're really quite pushed is make use of in-between times, what I'd call along the way. Uh, when you're traveling in a car, maybe turn off the radio and just allow that to be quiet space. Uh, when, you're, when you're shopping in the grocery line, uh, I've gotten in a bad habit. When I'm in the Costco line and I happen to pick the wrong line that's taking forever, I, I've gotten the habit of checking my emails while waiting in the line. That's an in-between time. And I've, I've been choosing over the last number of months a discipline where I leave my phone in my pocket and I turn those waiting times, either while driving or in the grocery line, as prayer times. That's an in-between time where you can actually find yourself being aware to the world around you. It's, it's that boredom moment that actually leads to creativity and, and often to prayer. I'd encourage you to use those on-the-way times. Do it daily and weekly. This, is, this would be key for some of us, a, a digital detox. Do you know that uh, most internet providers provide you with an app on your phone, this is a good app by the way, where you can just hit the button and it will turn your Wi-Fi in your entire house off. Did you know that? Some of you need to use that for you and your family. Your kids, you can't seem to get them off their devices, just turn the Wi-Fi off. I mean, you can set it to program so it's not on from like 10 p.m. till till uh, 7 a.m. in the morning. You can actually do that so that you actually have no internet. I mean, it, it's like the dark ages, I know, really. It is nighttime, so it's the dark time. But seriously, you could do this. Best practices for you couples, you married couples, is to not bring your devices into your room. And I gotta tell you, one of my tasks this week is to actually do that. I'm buying a, an alarm clock, an old school alarm clock that I'm gonna start using so that my device is no longer my primary alarm clock and I'll charge it outside of my room at night. On your Sabbath day, which might be a Sunday for you, what about this thought? People who are practiced in this are saying what, what a good practice is is to actually turn off your devices for an entire day, to actually power it down and not respond to texts, not respond to emails, not to look at any of that stuff for a 24-hour period. So it loses its hold on your soul, and it opens you up to awareness to the presence of God. So I mean, that, that, that'd be a radical step. I'm, I'm saying for some of us, we need to be radical about, about our technology. Uh, how about walking? Um, a friend of mine told me about this, a Christian business guy who was thinking and praying about this coming year. This was a few weeks ago, and he was setting goals, 
And as he was praying, he felt like God gave him one word for, for 2020. This was the word, stillness. Stillness was his word. And this is a busy guy, he's a businessman, and he's looking at, how do I do that? And so this was his goal, this is in his word, he says, every day I'm gonna go for an uncluttered walk. Isn't that good? An uncluttered walk. It means no devices, just him walking. For some of you, walking in the quiet might be easier than you sitting still, and that might be worth doing. It slows us down, and it's not something you can do in a hurry, generally. Whatever your strategy might be for adopting these disciplines, I want you to know, initially, it can be very hard. We're talking about training. That we're, these, these are practices and disciplines that require you know, time. They require effort. It's going to take time to get there in this. Um, you, won't, you won't necessarily see results overnight, but you will see results. I, Ruth Haley Barton, and she got radical about her schedule a few years ago, and she got serious about solitude and silence, and she says this. She says, I didn't experience lightning bolts or any kind of spiritual intensity, but get this. I gradually began to be happier about my life. She noticed that she was more content, more free. She enjoyed life more. She had a greater sense of focus and capacity to deal with the difficult things that came across her path. She became more resilient as a human being. She said, finding silence and solitude has been so worth it. It's, it's opened me up to the presence of God and to life in a whole new way. And so in closing, may the words of the psalmist encourage us and be an invitation to each of us this morning. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And even more so, may we hear the words of Jesus to us. Come with me to a quiet place, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for modeling a, a way of life that is full of life. We see your, your confidence and your joy and the way you were able to minister and, and even... <laughs> Uh, defeat the enemy. Uh, Lord, we, we look at the power that was evident in your life, and then we look at the time that you took to be alone and quiet and to pray. Would you teach us to do that, Lord? Would you teach us to, to slow down, to, to be intentional about, about our lives, to not just let uh, the latest technological phase or fad rule us, God, we confess, Lord, that too often uh, we've just gone along with the culture and, and we pray for your grace that we might be able to turn the tide, that we might be able to pursue this life of silence and solitude that is rooted and grounded in you. I sense this morning that you want to say to your people in those times of quiet, this is my son. This is my daughter. With her, with him, I am well pleased. And we hear your voice today above all others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's how God speaks most often to most of us. Tender whispers in the dead of night. And uh, if we fill our hearts and our minds with all kinds of other stuff, if we go so fast, we'll miss this tender whisper. And what we miss out is the love that he wants to speak over us. 
I mean, that's what we find. You slow down and you stop. Some of us are, are so afraid to be quiet because we think that if we shut up, we're going to hear voices of condemnation, and, and we're afraid of, of what we're, we're going to find and what we find when we slow down long enough to hear his voice. It's that invitation into love. I want to give you this benediction. As you go, may God give you grace to make time to be with yourself and with God in silence and solitude that your soul might be refreshed so that you might really live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.